Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, everyone, what's up? And welcome to another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. On today's episode, Brian and I are bringing on J. Kyle Mann of The Ringer to discuss more draft prospects. It feels like everyone talks about this being the shortest offseason, but for Hornets fans, it's been the longest offseason. We've been talking about draft prospects since March, it feels like. So uh, this will actually be our final draft episode prior to the November 18th draft. Um, I'm sure most of you guys know who J. Kyle Mann is, but uh, if not, make sure you Google his name. I was first drawn to his work when he put out some YouTube videos under a channel called The Dime Drop. The visuals always kind of drew me in, but also the work itself was good. So uh, now he's doing work for The Ringer, breaking down college prospects, breaking down the NBA. Kyle, how's everything going with you? And I know this must be a, a hectic time for you. Yeah, I would say so. So you're talking about the, the visuals and stuff. It's funny because it's like I always envision uh, my my wife does my visuals for me. Oh. And I would say she she kind of does the the interstate road signs for my work. And we kind of get people to come off the interstate. And then, and then I try to keep them there. You know, that's kind of the way. That's our <laughs> dynamic. So she's really good at that. I always try to give her credit there where it's definitely due. Yeah, I mean, busy, busy time. If the NBA wasn't enough, like we were just talking about kids and stuff, it's like a four month old is you just, you, you have to really get good at like sitting down and being really focused. Like there's not a lot of like time to fiddle around on, not that I don't do it still, but you know, Twitter and YouTube, just time sucks and uh, learning experience for sure. Everyone says don't judge a book by its cover, but I, I I always judge books by their cover, so that's probably why I was drawn to your YouTube videos. Like the first thing I saw were were these visuals, and I, I had to click on it. So she's done a good job there. Brian, uh, how's it going with you, man? Uh, yeah, hanging in, hanging in. Uh, uh how's it going is a loaded question these days, but uh, but uh, but no, I'm doing okay. I'm uh, I'm excited for the draft uh college season not starting too long from now um you know nba right around the corner i'm a little antsy just given how trying to launch these season seasons amidst a global pandemic but no i'm uh i'm um fired up and ready for some some hoops here actually all right very good well we're gonna jump in to first talking about Lamelo ball because well not only him but him and wiseman i feel like are one of the most polarizing players 
heading into this November 18th draft. And Kyle, just let you know, Brian is higher on LaMelo than I am. And I do want to get your thoughts on him as well. But first, you know, just from my point of view, obviously there's a lot to like about this guy. He's a six, seven point guard, which is hard to come by. He can create for others. His passing IQ is top notch. I mean, there's clearly going to be a big strength of his moving on to the NBA level is just the fact that he can pass teammates open. He sees players on the weak side, he misdirects opponents. Um, he fits passes into angles that not many can do. Um, and also, for someone that doesn't have a great shot selection, you would think that he'd also be someone that turns the ball over a lot or, or it would be too risky. But he does have that ability to pull off things that others just can't. Um, and obviously, he's a pretty good rebounder, too. But the one thing that I just can't get past, and, and maybe Brian can a little bit more, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is just the combination of his question marks and weaknesses are ones that just scare me too much. You know, whether it's his shot selection, whether it's the fact that he doesn't really have a role off the ball. I'll, I'll let you take over here, Kyle, but what, what are your overall thoughts on LaMelo Ball? And would you be comfortable if you were the Hornets and he fell to number three drafting him there? Well, I think, you know, a lot of the things that you said are true, if not all of them. Uh, and a lot of, and the concerns are so glaring, they're not really that difficult to, to parse. I mean, it's just kind of like the story, I, just to bury the lead a little bit for me, I'm, I'm working on a LaMelo Ball, like my, my second one, sort of an eval on him, a video. And I've been just kind of revisiting some of the things that I looked at a year ago um, on my Dime Drop channel. And that, you know, one of the things that jumps out to me, you talked about, you know, he's – he grew up in an environment that is unique for a prospect. You know, we, we grew up with a lot of like coaches, sons throughout rural America. We all knew one that, you know, he's my boy, he's playing point guard and that kid gets maybe a little longer leash. I knew some of the guys that were the opposite, but you don't run into a lot of guys. Usually the coach's son at like that level of talent is kind of a, a walk on or, but you know what, your Brad Calipari's your, your Sean Sutton's your, what was Bill Self's son's Tyler Self, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. LaMelo, hyper talented. So, uh, and a guy that grew up in an environment that was very enabled. He was very enabled to experiment. And um, one of the things I talk about in the video is that uh, I, I kind of was thinking about, I kind of came across this when I was studying Kareem, actually, that like players, when they're developing, they kind of can be broken down into three categories. And the first one is education. You know, every prospect, Every prospect, you want to try to, like, teach them, you know, the basic fundamentals, guide them in the right direction. The second is emulation. Guys kind of pick who they want to pattern themselves after. You see that a lot. You hear a guy like, who do you compare yourself to? I know, like, John Morant last year was, like, Rajon Rondo, you know, things like that. You kind of see some of that stuff. And then um, you get a guy, you get experimentation, which I think why this is relevant to LaMelo Ball is that, like, I can't think of another prospect who has been enabled to experiment in an organized setting from, you know, adolescence to now more than LaMelo Ball. And now there's a trade-off there. The trade-off is, the positive is that you get a situation where you've got a guy that is virtuosic. Like, I, he is a virtuosic ball handler. In my video, I talk about the fact that in a couple of years – you know, five years from now, I could see him being one of the best ball handlers in the world. Like, he is very talented. As a passer, you said it. I mean, he's – especially in transition, man. I mean, he's almost like Mahomesian in the way he can, like, drop passes in over the top. That's what it reminds me of all the time. I'm like, 
and, and Chino Hills enable a lot of that stuff. He was able to play like a really accelerated style where he could, was just constantly playing quick. So he's really, really fluid, making quick decisions. Um, he's, He's just got like an audaciousness. Um, you were talking about the turnovers. He'll try things. He's unafraid because that's the way he's played. Now, the flip side of it is um, my concerns more are kind of tricky things that are a little perilous to navigate when you're talking about a person that you don't know. But what is he like as a person and as a player? I'm more concerned about those things informing his attitude on the things that he needs to improve on going forward. And I guess kind of the parallel that you can draw is – Lonzo Ball came from this, the exact same environment, had similar concerns coming out of UCLA. People were like, what kind of a defender is he? Really kind of a wild shot taker for his mechanics and his efficiency. Is he a leader? Kind of things like that. Um, kind of got knocked for wilting away from people kind of stepping to his manhood a little bit. That was one of the things that Lomelo gets criticized for as well. Um, so I think in terms of, a, of talent, Two big boxes, LaMelo is at the top. You know, I think that he doesn't really have a peer in terms of what he can do with the basketball in those two senses. Um, in terms of what I think his role is at the next level, I personally don't feel comfortable drafting him. It's all about expectations, you know. Like if the Hornets were looking at LaMelo and they were saying, we, we need a guy, we're looking for a QB1. I'm not totally confident that LaMelo is like a culture dictator in the way that you would like at the top. Um, and then, but I don't know. Also, I don't know that you're going to get that in this draft. So you kind of have to go with that as well. I, I sort of, uh, I, I like LaMelo uh, of, of, the, of the guys on the podcast here. I'm, I'm the highest, but you did bring up two of the that was a really long answer. I'm sorry. No, 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 I'll, no, that's, that's what you're here for, man. Um, but no, like you bring up the, the, the two primary concerns, I think, which are, um, you know, where, what does he bring to the table from a culture perspective? Um, you know, again, if you, if you are bringing this guy in to be your primary ball handler, um, you know, how does he influence winning aside from just being, you know, efficient in the pick and roll or whatever. And then, you know, then there's the, the second aspect of, you know, is this a guy that can actually be a primary uh, creator for, you know, primary engine for an offense as Trey has become with Atlanta, but you know, does, does LaMelo have that capability? And then if not, you know, what does he bring off the basketball right now? That's sort of hard to see. And, you know, you're going to need to, he's going to have to develop and, and improve um, in, in that capacity. And I, I also like the thought of just, it, it is interesting because LeVar takes LeVar ball takes a lot of heat, perhaps a lot of it's justified or whatever, but the guy did raise what's going to end up being two top three draft picks. Mm-hmm. And he has a, he has an, a style. And even though his personality has also moved LaMelo all over the world before he even, you know, could, you know, could vote technically, um, you know, he, there was a certain style of basketball that LeVar wanted his sons to play at the up tempo, the hit ahead passes in transition, the ability to play over the top, play fast, the pull up shooting that, is sort of where the game is gone too. So I, I do think he has Lamelo at least has has had an advanced screening um, of that style of play from the time he was you know thirteen or fourteen years old. Um, so yes, I uh, while I am quite high in Lamelo and I think he's the best prospect in this draft. There, uh, you know, I don't think he's like a certainty. It's not like this was with Zion or, or Morant last mm-hmm, season. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I do. I do think if if Ball fell to three, uh, and Charlotte is still has that pick, um, depending on whatever trade potential trade offers they would entertain, I, I think Ball makes a, a lot of sense for them at, at, at pick three. And and we've had this conversation before how he would fit with Devonte because clearly Devonte is coming off a year where he surprised a ton of players or a ton of people on the outside, and you know he he outperformed expectations. And so now when you're inserting ball into Charlotte's roster, that fit is very unconventional because while Devontae plays well off ball, it feels like if you're going to take the ball out of, you know, Devontae's hands completely and just put it in LaMelo's hands, uh, I don't think you're getting your best out of Devontae. And it's not like I necessarily see Devontae as this starter for like five to six to seven years uh, down the road, but he was Charlotte's best player last year. And I don't want to hinder that kind of moving forward. I don't know if you guys talked about this, but what are your thoughts on LaMelo on the defensive side of the ball? Because physically, you look at him, you would think that he'd be a good defender, but it doesn't feel like he's totally locked in on or off ball. Yeah, I mean, that's putting it mildly. I mean, he's he was bad. That's what we did talk about that. I mean, he was horrible. He, if you're just going by the... With defensive metrics, man, with when it comes to younger players, you kind of circle back to a lot of the same things, and you kind of have to look for traits you know i hate going into these kind of things but like intangible things you have to sort of guess as best as you can because a lot of defense is just you know players mature human beings mature a ton from 18 to 24 and your focus gets better a lot of these guys are learning the the further they've gotten you know to find a guy that has sort of the the like secondary tertiary down the line sort of like rotational intelligence the way like a guy like Luka Doncic has that's really rare coming into the NBA. You flip that, that to the defensive side of the ball, you're more just looking for defense. You're like, uh, you know, instincts, things like that. Competitiveness is a big thing for me. Uh, and, you know, at Spire, at Chino, and Lithuania with the uh, whatever the big baller league, big baller league thing was, uh, it's just, it was defensively, it's just a joke. I mean, it's a joke. He's, he's not competing. Um, he's, you know, on ball, he was basically a matador. He seemed just totally averse to physicality and contact. Um, I think his best hope for me is he becomes sort of a rotationally competent player in the same way that, like, Denny Abija does. Because I don't think that Lamel, you know, Lamel is like a nimble, fluid, light-on-his-feet athlete in that sense. He's not overly explosive. I don't think that he has sort of the build in his lower body to funnel dribble penetration I don't think he's long enough to close gaps. I think that he's if he doesn't invest in the competitive side of of, of team defense uh, and up his motor, that's the biggest thing, man. It's just his motor. Um, he's going to get embarrassed. He's going to get picked on a lot. But like we were saying, Lonzo focused on those things a lot, man. And Lonzo's a, a great team now. So yeah. it just really comes down to what kind of person you are. And something I say in the video is that like. Um, I don't want to say everything I say in the video, but, oh, well, let's do it. Um, you know, elite or great defense is often, like, the tools to do that are often gifts. It's a gift. You know, mm-hmm. not not everybody has to, even if you wanted to be Kevin Garnett, you know, not everybody can do that. But to be a passable or, like, a, a decent team defender, eh, that's a choice. You know, like, Jared Dudley is a guy that was, for a lot of his career, was a good team defender. Mm-hmm. Average physical measure, measurements, you know. Yeah. But he, he, if you want it. You can do it. And it's just kind of what it comes down to with Lamelo for me. Yeah. Yeah. Being in the right place 
seven out of 10 times, you know, like that's, or six out of 10 times, right? Whatever the number is, like, that's what makes you a competent team defender. You know, the six foot seven size certainly helps. I have concerns with his point of attack defense and what that does to your, to your half court defense. Uh, If you are in fact building a a team around LaMelo, that is a constraint to consider. And as, as, as you mentioned too, like nimble, but not like a super explosive, you know, twitchy athlete. Um, the steals numbers in Australia, in the, in the, in the NBL this season were pretty good, but you know, it come with, comes with the caveat of like, he gambled a lot too. So, you know, we'll see what kind of event creator he becomes defensively on the next level. Um, or even if that is really all that important, the, the big thing will just be hitting his spots and, and improving as a point of attack, pick and roll defender, you know, this is something that Trey has really struggled with since he got to Atlanta, but he's also, you know, <laughs> maybe like my height or a little shorter than me, whereas LaMelo yeah. Ball is six foot seven. So, I mean, Trey um, was like the worst defensive player in the NBA. He was, year, yes. So. According according to at least defensive PIPM, he was the worst rated defender in the NBA. And I'm guessing there were a few other catch-all metrics that had him uh, rated similarly. Yeah, I think it all goes back to mindset and the mental aspect of the game with LaMelo. I think half the battle, like you said, Kyle, was is the physical aspect, but you still have got to lock in defensively. And I think a lot of what my concerns boil down to uh, with LaMelo happens to be with the mindset and the mental aspect of the game. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be the most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Right now, go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's transition over to my favorite prospect of the draft. One that I'm hoping falls to number three for the Hornets is Anthony Edwards. I think bar none, he is the most physically gifted athlete in this year's draft. Um, I do think that goes a long way in today's NBA, especially with the spacing that's being created with 
four out offenses, five out offenses. He can attack in that space. He hasn't necessarily proven to create shots for others yet, but he can certainly create shots for himself, uh, whether that's attacking and finishing at the rim, which actually I think he didn't do enough of at UGA. He has settled a little bit too often, but he can also create for himself with sidesteps and step backs, just creating room for himself with the ball in his hands and off the ball where I feel like if you were to pair him with Devante, he still has that ability to play off the ball. Unlike um, LaMelo, you know, off of cuts, very explosive. It feels like teams have to shade him a little bit more because if you're, you're a step late, it's over because he's cutting to the back, uh, to the basket with ease. One thing that I, I do kind of struggle with with him is either the shot the shot selection for sure uh, settled way too often. And like LaMelo, I don't know why I overlook it, but to me, he's not locked in defensively either. So my question to you, Kyle, is, is the hype around Anthony Edwards too centered on his physical profile or are, are there things to like about this guy outside of the, the athletic ability? Uh, I mean, I think he hits on some sort of archetypes that you could add. You know, NBA offenses are all about, all about like what kind of efficient facets can we add to the pie? And if you if you add a guy like Anthony Edwards, he's got shot mobility. He's big and strong. So he's decent handle. Pretty, you know, he's a better passer than I think he gets credit for. That's something that uh, Jonathan Sharks and I always he always reminds me of. Like, but yeah, it's true. It's totally true. So I think that uh, you know, if you if you add a guy like him. Like I said, the shot mobility means that you could probably add him to your off-screen offense. You know, he's probably going to add some – his decision-making is is, is a, the, one of the biggest parts of it. And, and one of the things that I have the hardest time kind of getting on board with, um, I've gotten some grief for comparing him to J.R. Smith just in terms of this guy with all this talent. Um, and I think that's been a lot of my frustration with him is, like, there aren't many guys in this draft that have the potential to be – sort of an offensive one on a playoff level team. And I think that Edwards has that type of talent, like in terms of scoring, um, you, you got a guy that could add like a really competent ISO, you know, his ISO game in terms of his decision-making is really raw, but it's, he could grow into like a shot maker. Um, he's a guy that I could see becoming like a, somebody that could give you some post, some post action. Um, and then you just think about all the creation that could come out of that. Uh, some pick and roll. So he's really versatile in terms of the things that you can do with the ball in his hands. Um, and, you know, he, like he's built like a truck, like you were saying. He, he can get to the rim uh, and and take contact and finish. You know, you wanted to see more of that at Georgia. It's, it's disappointing when you see, you know, I, I know Georgia probably had their reasons for doing that, for doing what they did, handling him the way that they did. Uh, I just get a little bit, dubious of guys that really fail to elevate their context, you know, because if you watch Georgia last year, which I did just being an SEC fan, uh, they were just a mess a lot of the time. And, and he didn't really, I guess what you kind of have to go back and look at is like wings like that. How often do bigger wings that go into a college environment and have that type of outcome? How, how often do they go to the next level and become a star? You know, that's a question I would pose you guys. Yeah, it's not, it's not, this is not a comparison from a player standpoint, nor from a positional standpoint, but um, I, I live in Raleigh. I cover the ACC. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago when Dennis Smith Jr. came to NC State and it was, the offense was just sort of a mess. Um, a lot of, and, and look, Mark Gottfried, when he was here, doesn't run a lot of pick and roll on the UCLA 
uh, offense. But a lot of that was just like, here, give the ball to Dennis and, you know, let's just see what he can go do. And, and I felt like Georgia, there were a lot of possessions where it was just give the ball to Anthony 25, 30 feet from the hoop and see what he can do. And, and yeah, sometimes he'll, he'll split a ball screen and, and dunk on someone at the rim or finish through contact. And, and he looks just incredible. And then there are other possessions where, you know, th- that just leads into some of his bad tendencies from a shot selection standpoint. Yeah, it feels like this draft was really set up for Edwards to just like grab the number one prospect slot. You could maybe even say that about Cole Anthony, and that just that obviously went haywire in Chapel Hill this year. And that just didn't happen. It didn't happen with with Edwards either, even if he does end up somehow going number one, which I, I don't think he he will. You know, I don't think I think I like Anthony Edwards as a prospect, despite the warts. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy you give the ball to and say, you know, run us two dozen pick and rolls every game. And we're just going to get a baseline good offense off of that. But he's a guy that can close a game for you. I agree that I think he is actually a pretty good passer and has some of that ability and certainly helps that he's just a, a bulldozer going to the rim. Like that's going to give him some assist possessions um, right off the bat. It feels like, and yeah, the off ball stuff is sort of interesting because he is a good cutter. UGA had a little backdoor play that they ran for him a fair amount. I just think it's going to be interesting to see whatever offense he lands in, in the NBA, what they do to make the game easier for him. I've been sort of like banging that drum recently. I think Charlotte has some really obvious stuff already in the playbook mm-hmm. and, and, you know, other teams that are in this range too, you know, what are you going to do to make this game easier for him because I think for at least now the days of give Ant the ball and and just everyone get the bleep out of the way yeah I mean maybe we'll you'll see some of that but I think for at least for the time being that's that's going to be sort of shelved to an extent yeah I don't think he's going to translate to Jason Tatum uh, as an isolation play (laughs) right away not quite yet yeah, I mean, he does He does have a proclivity to kind of want to do that. But to your point, Brian, I think that James Borrego could be an interesting fit with Anthony Edwards and to see how he can mold this guy. And if he's coached right, I think that he can kind of click on a lot of cylinders and maybe clean up some of the deficiencies that he has. And um, it, it becomes easier for him on both ends of the court. Just last thing, too, is just like the, the off-ball defense with Edwards is another concern. Everyone knows this. But oh, yeah. I feel like yeah, yeah. you just have to plug it. You know, he carried a big load offensively at Georgia, but you can't have this guy being the last guy back on defense. And we can't continue to have the possessions where he's off ball on the strong side defensively. And then his man cuts through to the weak side corner. And Anthony Edwards is just like frozen uh, as this guy goes from one corner to the opposite corner. It's like that stuff just can't happen. And so, you know, again, I think he's a good competitor. So I think you can, you can, you can just, amp him up on that end uh, end of the court defensively, but there's some, some serious off ball awareness and sort of like defensive feel uh, concerns with Edwards as well. And I do think that there's a path for him to be a solid on ball defender. I think he's got all the physical tools there, but like you said, Brian off the ball, he was like two or three steps late. And we've dealt with that with miles bridges on the Hornets roster. It feels like there's some shades of that. So James Wiseman versus Anyeka Kongwu. We've had this debate on BuzzBeat several times, Kyle. And before I even kind of throw out my pros and cons for each of these players, is there a big that you favor heading into the draft, Wiseman or Kongwu? Well, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, I would have said Wiseman, no question. But I think that the sort of scalability of adapting to the, the higher level game and some of the things that you like to look for, and then compare it to what we're seeing in the in the league now. What works? What's what? What sort of blueprints, archetypes 
are good. Uh, I lean towards a Kung Wu, which surprises me. Um, I think that, but I, I would, I would, I would want to put some caveats with that. You know, a Kung Wu, I think is probably the only big that I can think of in this draft that's capable of being an anchor on a playoff team defensively uh, because he's a really bright guy and something that people forget with, People forget that Lamelo and Okungwu actually played high school ball together at Chino Hills, yep. and he was one of the big reasons that they were able to play like that and still win games. It's because you had this big monster back there that was uh, smart and a, and a great athlete. Now, I've had, I've had a lot of people, you know, compare him to Bam uh, in terms of his like, uh, at, you know, applicability in the defensive sense. Maybe he's not the same type of athlete in terms of his mobility. In my opinion, I think his gait. Um, I was actually literally just on a Cavaliers podcast before this one, and I was saying that uh, his gait reminds me a little bit more of Tristan Thompson. He's a little heavier in his hips, um, but I don't think he's quite as explosive as Bam, but he has incredible hands. Um, he's a guy that, you know, I think his face-up game is going to grow. Um, he's, you know, switchable, and I, I he's the type of guy that you want in, in a league that is really, really side-to-side, and you you need to – have a pretty smart sort of middle linebacker at the back of your defense. And he's a guy that I think is capable of that. Uh, in terms of Wiseman, I'm not like – people have gone pretty overboard with the Wiseman thing, I think. I remember back in the fall there were people that were like, I've got him 20th. I'm just like, give me a break, dude. Uh, he's, he's, he's a great – he's a good athlete. He can run and jump and catch and dunk. And I think that he, his face of game two is something that I think has been a little bit underrated. Um, his hands are pretty quick to the ball. Like he's the kind of guy that in the right context, I could see him being like, you know, an average to good level starter. That's kind of where I see him as, um, I don't see him as a star. Um, but something that I think people get a little bit distracted with year over year is sort of the, the RSCI number that's next to a player's you know, profile. And they're like, well, he's number one, he's going to be a star. It's like, no, it's different every single year. And this year, Wiseman was Wiseman physically dominated growing up. So people kind of, I think overinflated him a little bit. Same thing kind of happened with Vernon Carey. Um, so that's kind of where I sit between those two guys. I think that Okungwu is in terms of like applying to winning basketball, that could fit in a lot of different scenarios. Like if I was a Hornets fan, I would want a Kongwu. That, that's my opinion. Yeah. I, oh, I favor a Kongwu over Wiseman too. I just think there's so much you can do with him defensively, even though he is a little smaller uh, maybe the wingspan at seven one is a a little concerning, but man, he can he can switch. I, I always go back to it, but the game one of the games against Stanford this year, he did a great job switching on to Tyrell Terry, who's an NBA guard, um, and he can just guard ball screens in a variety of different uh, ways. And um, and I, I know some people can knock him; they don't think maybe he's great in drop coverage, but I think he does. I think he's okay. Uh, in drop coverage and him and you know, PJ together would be, it's, I a, great, would, yeah. it's a great fit. I'm pro PJ. It's a, we, we, we love PJ. Uh, we loved him pre-draft and um, we are big fans of him now. He's an excellent, excellent young player. Um, and yeah, he and a Kongwu would be, would be great together. And I, I think a Kongwu even showed some stuff um, out of the short roll and, and face up post game with, with some pretty good footwork. And obviously his finishing numbers were, were great. He's so smooth uh, in the pick and roll game, just going from screen, holding his screen mm-hmm. and spinning out right on that inside foot, uh, that access point and going uh, downhill to catch 
catch a pass too. So yeah, I mean, I, but at the same time, I think I've come down pretty hard on Wiseman on this pod, but I've always tried to say at no point do I think he's not like a rotation player, a guy that can start for a long, long time in the NBA. But to your point, uh, I don't know where he fits as far as, you know, being able to anchor a, a, a postseason defense and to play leverage minutes. I think he can be a guy that's pretty good in drop coverage and, uh, and you know, how good does he become at, covering that middle ground that the, Anthony Davis is like a God at doing this. It, it, he destroyed the heat in the finals by just being able to take away the lob and guard against the floater. You know, where does Wiseman get um, from that perspective? So yeah, no, Okongwu for me has been center one for months and months now. And, and Wiseman, while I'm a little down on him, that doesn't mean I don't think he's not playing in the NBA for, you know, a decade plus. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement here uh we've had this debate multiple times here brian but it's, it's very easy to see where wiseman fits on the offensive side in terms of just having a defined role as a pick and roll rim runner vertical lob threat he does have that over a kongu i feel like his vertical spacing uh, is much greater than a kongu's he's a good rebounder but to brian's point and to your point kyle in terms of the defensive side can he defend in space you know Will teams run pick and rolls at him knowing that he's either going to have to consistently drop or if he does come out to hedge, he often or frequently takes himself out of position. And there's just too many question marks that I have with Wiseman, even though to your point, Brian, I do feel like he's going to be a solid rotational center Uh, in terms of the modern NBA. That's where my concerns lie with him. A Kongu on the other side while he doesn't have the upside that Wiseman does, he clearly, to me, has less glaring holes in his game. And back to the comparison with Bam, I actually like that comparison a little bit more, Kyle. I will say one aspect of his game that has to get better, and it could be a swing skill of a Kongwu, is the fact that if he's ever going to get in the category of Bam light, if you want to call it, he's got to get better better at his decision-making, his passing. You did mention the short roll, Brian, but I still think there's room for improvement there. You know, Heat ran mm-hmm. offense through Bam at the high post, right? Like DHOs, uh, he made great passes out of the high post. Yeah. Akongwu yeah. isn't quite there yet. Mm-mm. But yeah. neither was Bam coming out of Kentucky, you know, either well, too, that's right? True. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I famously whiffed on Bam in terms of, like, my assessment of him. Well, the NBA changed. Yeah. Played him a certain way, and it kind of was misleading. Mm-hmm. I could criticize Cal for that on another day. But, yeah, I mean, I just don't know that if you if you go back and watch some of those possessions against, like, the Celtics, against the Lakers, uh, of course, he didn't get to really get to play that much. Just in the playoffs, the way that Bam could – his north-south speed – foot speed and, and east west uh is pretty exceptional for a guy his size and you know the great wingspan but they do have in common you know strong strong longer arms um and just yeah i, I think that a could be a kind of a guy he's he's sort of in that yeah like al horfordy kind of thing yeah. like positionally gonna be yeah. you know just a, a savvy guy that um could help just about any team i think All right, let's wrap up this podcast with a couple of uh, trade scenarios, rumors. It feels like Charlotte's been brought up in a lot of trade rumors and moving up. And I I personally don't like the fact that the Hornets are even in these rumors. Uh, I would want no part in trading up if I was Charlotte. I mean, if the plan in Charlotte is to be patient, and even Cody Zeller said on a recent uh, media availability that they have no plans of trying to compete for the seventh or eighth seed. They're trying to take it slow. 
this tells me that they don't need to be losing draft capital. They need to be holding on to it, not you know, not giving up something mm-hmm. just to move up to the, the top overall spot. And even for Edwards, who's number one on my board, I, I would feel that'd be short-sighted to move up to number one if that's who we were targeting. Is there a situation, Kyle, whether it's moving up, moving back, do you see a trade out there for Charlotte, or do you think it's best if they kind of just stay put? I mean, they're really, really bad right now. Like in terms of like at the bottom of the, aren't they at the bottom of the league on both sides of the ball? I'm pretty sure or close yeah, to it. Yeah, they so, were they were bad, and that's even with Devontae Graham's offense being unexpectedly very mm-hmm. good this season. You right. can imagine if he is if he's only modestly better from his rookie year to year two. They, I mean, they have the worst offense in the league. Period. Yeah. Well, you got Malik Monk, so that's something to build around, and that's a star to you know to build your whole team around. I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, I love Monk, but it's just going to have to be the right situation for him. I yeah, think. Um, agreed. So not punting. I defended the show actually the other day. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you look at that, you kind of are looking at this is basically really kind of a blank canvas, honestly, in terms of like, you, you have no real implied direction. And I literally said this like a half hour ago to the Cavs too, because they're in a similar situation. So what kind of a thing would you need to bring in? You were saying like what Zeller was talking about in terms of going for the playoffs, what would they even need to bring in to move into that conversation? I don't see anything viable happening in terms of what they could flip and what they could get in this time frame, I think you might as well go ahead and try to, you know, the long term, especially being a smaller market, you need to go ahead and try to invest in somebody. And I think they should stay put. Um, have you, I mean, what's the best trade that you guys have heard about? Well, to, to me, and Brian will not agree with this because he's a LaMelo fan. In my situation, if Edwards and Wiseman were off the board, I would actually dangle number three to trade back. I would that, that would be my thing. You know, I, yeah. I don't want LaMelo on this roster just because I don't think he fits. And we've heard <laughs> teams like New York that wants to trade up. So, you know, there's been a rumor out there, maybe three to New York, and we get back Robinson plus number eight. I mean, I feel like that's that's somewhat yeah. fair. Yeah. But I then, love Robinson. Yeah. 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 And, and New York has um, two second-round picks coming in from Charlotte, both one this season at 38 and then one for next season. So maybe you get – you could you factor in maybe one of those picks or two of those picks coming back. They also have the Clippers first round pick uh, for next season mm-hmm. because of the Marcus Morris trade. So that's another little piece of draft capital. That's the one that makes a, that makes the most sense to me is if New York was desperate to get LaMelo, you know, there was some chatter that Chris Paul may be headed to New York in a trade, but now uh, the you know, stuff's really pushing him to Phoenix. It seems like at the moment, seems heavy um, Phoenix right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if that's the case, well, then you know New York is still going to be looking for a point guard. If Lamelo was there at three, um, you know how desperate would they be to to get up and and you know what could you get out of that aside from the number eight pick? That's that's the starter point. But in terms of you know these these late first round picks, early second round picks, you know, in, you know, some combination of, of guy, I don't think they're willing to move guys like Robinson or Barrett, but those would be like the names at the top of the list. I feel like. Actually, I, I lied. Let, let's get to one last thing. Just like a sentence, Kyle, give yeah. me a sleeper late in the first round or early in the second round. Cause Charlotte has the 32nd overall pick. Um, I know Brian has thrown out some names uh, before on previous podcasts, but I want to hear one from you, Kyle, in terms of just someone in that range that you feel like could potentially be a rotational piece for the Hornets at 32. Look at my board here. <laughs> I mean, you start getting into, 
It depends on who's there, I guess. You right. know, I'm a really both, – both of the Michigan State guys I've mentioned over and over again I think could help. They're probably going to – you just watch. Those two guys are going to pop up on – that's Cassius Winston and uh, Stan. Yeah, and uh, Xavier yeah. Tillman. <laughs> I was getting Stanley and Winston mixed up. Uh, and and uh, very, very different. Did you see Cassius uh, – Winston's vertical was 28 inches in the combine. That's I did not see. That's funny because Cassius Stanley's was probably like twice that too. Yeah, it was probably like 48 or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then you know I I really like Robert Woodard. I really like mm-hmm. Isaiah Joe a lot. He's a great shooter. Yeah, you know, and Joe Grant Riller is a guy yes. who'd be really steady. But mm-hmm. um, you know, you throw him in there. Um, yeah, it, and it, you even start talking about. Uh, you know, the Kentucky guys, I kind—I mean, even well, or Cassius Stanley is going to be there. Jordan mm-hmm. Nora. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of kind of just solid college players that, you know, I know the Hornets traditionally sort of like to pick those like ACC, SEC kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a funny story where uh, I, I actually like interviewed, there's a guy who used to play for Kentucky that was one of the front first front office guys for the Hornets. His name is Mike Pratt. And man, I had a beer with him one night and he was just telling me stories about when they were starting the franchise and like who they were picking and how they went about that. You guys should have him on sometime. Okay. That's, that's good insight. That sounds like that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. That sounds like a, that sounds like that would be a really interesting conversation. We've had some like people on that were around like the early Hornets days, but it just feel like nothing from the team side, you know, which would be fascinating. I feel like for an expansion team, in Charlotte in like the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. That's, it's like a pretty unique scenario. I think there's like a basketball cultural fascination with the Hornets in that era. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There is, I think Mm -hmm. best colors and best logo in the league, in my opinion. So, um, (laughs) you're not wrong. Yeah, not wrong. Uh, well, first off, we wanted to thank Jay Kyle man for joining us again today. His insight was great. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online. And if there's any kind of recent or upcoming projects you want to plug, go right ahead. Well, you can find the bulk of my my work that I focus the most on on the Ringer's YouTube page. So that would just be to search the Ringer, you'll find it. And then uh, I am kind of filling in and helping out with draft stuff on the Ringer NBA shows, like on the Mismatch. I'll be doing that a uh, couple more, uh, hopefully more in the future. And then you can follow me uh, at J Kyle Man on Twitter, and just you know, the Ringer's going to be having a lot of draft coverage coming up. And stay tuned, and uh, be plenty to wet your beak on. All right. Well, we appreciate it, guys, and we will see you all next time.